glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Out of this text, we're going, to, we're going to look at three things. We're going to draw out three things in this text with the goal of bringing us to seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I want us to not miss the practical part of this in regard to Moses. Moses, if you'll remember, and God brings this up to Moses here, had, had been on two occasions challenged by the children of Israel that they, uh, he had led them out multiple occasions. They accused him of leading them into the wilderness to kill them. But on a couple of occasions, they were in need of water. And the first occasion, God told Moses to smite a rock and water would come out. He smote the rock and water came out. On the second occasion, God gave Moses a specific commandment. He said, speak to the rock and water will come out. And Moses, being angry at the children of Israel, not only didn't speak to the rock, not only smote it, if my memory serves me correct, he smote it twice and said, must I fetch you water out of this rock, ye rebels? That's how we know he's from the southeast. He used the word fetch, and he called them ye rebels, right? You know that's where he was from. Anyway, I'll put that aside. Moses got angry. He let the people provoke him. And the Bible calls what he did rebellion. Now, this is not the message this morning. If I, if I said, what is a rebel? Probably one of the first words that would come to your mind is the word defiance. Someone who defies rules. Someone with the attitude of nobody's going to tell me what to do. And certainly that is a rebel. And you couldn't characterize Moses as a rebel. This is one incident in his life. That's not what characterized his life, but God did call what he did rebellion. He said, you rebelled, meaning you did opposite of what I told you to do. And here's why it's important. How many times was Jesus smitten for our sins? Once and only once. And Moses smote the rock, which is a type of Christ, twice. Meaning Christ has been once smitten. Henceforward, all we need to do is speak to him. We can come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy So when Moses smote that rock the second time, he is marring a picture. He's misrepresenting the gospel. Make sense? Not intentionally, but out of anger. He let people anger him. And so God had to deal with, God in his wisdom had to deal with Moses. You know what Moses' little disobedience cost him? Not his salvation. Moses is in heaven today. We find him on the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord Jesus. Amen? This goes along with our Sunday school lesson. Here's Moses, an Old Testament saint, yet he... He messed up. He sinned. He didn't. He smote that rock. He disobeyed God. And it cost he and Aaron both the ability to actually go into the promised land. He could see it but not go in. Now, all this relates to our message because on multiple occasions, if you read your Old Testament, Moses entreated God. He had left Egypt and had set his... The last 40 years of his life was about getting to one place, Canaan land. And he doesn't get to go in. He the only people that left Egypt... Uh, that were over the age of 20 that actually got to go in were uh, Joshua and Aaron. Everybody else died in the wilderness. You, you talk about the cost of unbelief and disobeying God. You may not lose your soul, but anytime we disobey God, there's something to be lost. Reward to be lost. A victorious life can be lost. And So here's Moses. He's entreated God numerous times, would you please let me go in? And God finally, the last time, tells him, don't ask again. You smote the rock instead of speaking to it. You can't, God has to help us understand how serious disobedience is. Let me ask you something. If you have a child, just bear with me here for a minute so we can learn something about the character and nature of God. If you have a child 
and he, he, he willingly disobeys you, willfully disobeys you, and you say, you disobeyed, you should not have done that. Now, because you did that, you knew before you did that, let's say you tell your child, um, you're to be done eating by this time or you're not getting dessert. And the child sits there and plays with their food and they play with their food. With 30 seconds left on the clock, they decide to start cramming. They don't get done. You say, oh, but I hate to see Junior not as good as dessert. And you say, well, you should have been done, but I don't want to upset you, so you have your dessert anyway. What did you just teach all the other kids? We're always teaching. So what did we just teach all the other kids? It's okay to disobey. Consequences are only a game. God told Moses, you smote the rock, you can't go into the land of Canaan. And had he not kept his word, it would teach everybody else, it's okay to disobey God. And we can mar the gospel and do those kind of things. It was a very serious thing that Moses did. And by the way, the Bible says the children of Israel did provoke him. Like they really were being ornery. They were being naughty. And they stirred up his spirit. And he was being zealous for the Lord. He disobeyed. So here's Moses being reminded again, you're going to die before you go into the land of promise. You're going to die. I can't let you go in. This shows you something about what it means to live by faith. Moses doesn't argue. Moses doesn't complain. Moses instead entreats God to help and protect the very people that provoked him in the first place. Lord, if if I've got to go, would you please do this? He doesn't use his last prayer request to say, but... But God, please, I really want to go in. No, God said, don't ask again. So guess what Moses did? He said, am I going to rebel again? No. Once was enough. I ain't doing it again. So he says, if I'm going to have to ask a request, here's what I want to do. The people needs, I'm dying, Lord. I'm a a sinner like anybody else, redeemed by God's grace, no doubt. But I've got to go. Would you please give them a man that will care for them in my absence? I love the character of Moses. One of my fa- I love so many characters in the Bible. He's one of my favorites in the Bible. The Bible says, meekest man on earth, outside of Jesus Christ. Outside of Christ, Solomon the wisest, Moses the meekest. Meaning, God gave him great, great power. God put a lot of power on Moses. And he never used that power to destroy. He used that power. I mean, the most he ever did was smite a rock a couple of times, right? When he could have smitten people, it was often Moses who's pleading with God, please don't kill the people. If you do, it'll make you look bad. Now, God, that gives us a picture of how Christ intercedes for us, right? But here we have Moses. Last week we saw Moses was prophesied of that prophet that would rise up one day, a prophet like unto him that would the people would hear. And if they don't hear, then you'll be judged. We don't know. You wonder if Moses thought, I wonder if the next one would be that prophet. And just like you, you wonder if Eve thought, will one of my sons be the seed? Maybe Ab- maybe Cain. No, not Cain. Maybe Abel. It ain't going to be Abel. <laughs> maybe Seth. They didn't know. They're looking forward to the promise of a coming Savior, right? Moses had prophesied of that prophet that would come, having no idea how far down the line that would be. But his concern is this. When I'm gone, the people have a need. And so I'll give you three things this morning out of this text that we find through Moses' prayer. We're going to look at the problem of the people, the prayer for the people, and the provision that God made for his people. So back to Numbers chapter 27. Uh, let's look at this again in verse 15. And Moses spake unto the Lord, saying... Uh, uh, let me back up verse 12. And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee up into this Mount of Aram, and see the land which I have given unto the children of Israel. And when thou hast seen it, thou also shalt be gathered unto thy people. 
as Aaron thy brother was gathered, for ye rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin, in the strife of the congregation to sanctify me at the water before their eyes. That is the water of Meribah in Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. So let's begin to look at the problem of the people. We, we begin right here, and there's something to be learned very practically for us this morning. I, I find this in humanity, including in myself. There is constantly a yearning for someone to look to to give us hope about humanity. I mean, that, naturally speaking, it's, it's what we see in the political world. Who's the candidate that's going to come and rescue us? Don't hold your breath. Don't hold your breath. But we do that, and we do it over. And over and over. Oh, this is it. This is the year. This is the time. We're going to get this politician. There's this hunger for a savior. The problem is, every time we put confidence in a man, he lets us down. And that's going to be the same. As your pastor, a pastor's job is to lead and feed, set an example. But you know what? God's intent for a pastor in someone's life is not to say, this is... This is it. He's the one. No, there's no. Moses, one of the mightiest men of God, you, you find ultimately was not able to deliver the people ultimately. He could turn them to the deliverer. But who won in finality, Moses or death? Even in a moment of heated uh, zeal and provocation, he failed and set a bad example. There's a problem that mankind has today. We have a need for leadership. We have a need for for an example. We have a need for a pattern. We have a need and a desire to look up to someone. We look for heroes. People look at him in the suite. He said, well, maybe I just need a hero. You let Jesus Christ be your hero. Amen. But we have that yearning. Early on, children look for heroes. And I'm all for God will put human leadership in your life. Don't misunderstand me. He put Moses in their life. Let me ask you something. Was Moses, was he a prophet? But he wasn't that prophet. Was he a deliverer? Yes, but he wasn't that deliverer. Moses was affected by sin like the very people he led. So the need of the people was the man who had been leading them, the man who had been the voice of God for them, the man who had been saying, no, we're not going back to Egypt, Yes, we will be uh, okay. God will provide water. God will provide... The man that had kept Israel on course is going to die. So if Moses is gone, what happens to Israel? Don't they need a man? Certainly, but the man they had, we find, had a deficiency. He was incapable of providing to the people everything they needed. Something the Lord's had to teach me as a husband. I can provide my wife a house. I can provide her food and clothes. I can provide her companionship. I can provide her time. I can provide her an ear to listen. I can provide her a heart that has compassion. But you know what? There are some things I cannot provide for my wife. She has come to some places in her walk with God where all I can say is, Jenny Beth, this is, this is what God says. But this is going to be have something that the Lord's going to have to help you with. I can't, I can't reach your heart in that way. I can only provide some things, but there's a point where my deficiencies as a human being, whether through sin and, and error or through limitations in my flesh, make I, I would hate 
to say to my wife, I am the end all of all your needs. That would be a lie. If I lead her to that and then I die someday, what's she going to do? For my children, I can provide them food and shelter and instruction and discipline and love and care and correction and companionship and all those things. But you realize there are days my children are facing things I cannot provide them personally the spiritual strength they're going to need to live a godly life in this world. I can get them to the provider. But here's Moses, as wonderful a leader as he was, as good of a man as he was, is at a point where he will no longer be able to provide for the people he loves. He had given his life for the nation of Israel. You realize Moses could have been the premier world leader. He was in line to be Pharaoh in Egypt, and he forsook all of that to suffer the reproach of Christ. That's what Hebrews 11 says. He would rather suffer the reproach of Christ with God's people than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That was in connection to a high position of power, the wealth that would go with it, and the power and prestige that would go with it. He said, no, I'll I'll identify with God and his people. You look at what serving God's people had cost Moses. He loved them dearly. But he's at a place where God says, but you can no longer serve them. Your days are done. You know what? On days like that, you and I better, we better not believe that we are the solution to man's needs. The people had a need, and their first need is seen in Moses' deficiency and Moses' departure. That's the first thing we see is the one that the channel of God's leadership and blessing in their life is going to be cut off. Well, I mean, just say this. I have no idea. I can't read the future. I, I, am, I am not a prophet in the sense of being able to see out in the future. None of that. So don't take any of this more than what it just means. I would hate... Here's, here's what I think as a pastor. I desire to pastor Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church in such a way, my desire would be that, the core, that this membership, if God said, you know what, I'm calling you home to glory... I would hate to see this church fall apart because their pastor died. Now, a church needs a pastor. But you know what? A church better not butter their bread on their pastor. Are you with me? Israel could not exist based solely on Moses or Israel would die. So there has to be... Israel was God's people just like today. The church, this assembly of born-again baptized believers... This church belongs to God. It belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Moses understood, I'm not the ultimate leader. I am an appointed leader for a time, but I'm not the ultimate end for these people's needs. But God, they do have a need. And so their need is first seen in that their leader that had so faithfully led them as a shepherd across the wilderness is going to die. It'd be just like having a flock of sheep and the shepherd who feeds them daily, leads them to flocks, waters them, dies. He's just gone. It's like a mother who has little children, two and three years old, and mama dies. You got some children in need. So these people are in need because their leader, uh, deficient through, uh, he's, he's sinful like the rest of us. Death is going to claim him, and therefore he would depart. But not only do we see the need reveals the problem of the people. They had a need for leadership because their leader was departing. But they had a need for leadership because of their own nature. Look, if you would, at verse 17, when Joshua prays for them, he says in verse 16, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation which may go out before them and which may go in before them and which may lead them out and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. You know what he's saying? They are sheep. Lord, we don't want them to be like sheep without a shepherd. I mean, let's know what happens to sheep without a shepherd. They scatter. 
the Lord Jesus said that prophetically. The Word of God says, smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Sheep gravitate around their shepherd. That's why if Satan can get you convinced that your shepherd doesn't care about you, can alienate you from him and from the flock. Can I just put a plug in for being faithful to the local New Testament church? Satan loves to alienate sheep from the flock. Do you know why? Anybody ever watched wolf activity? God knows what he's doing. He calls false teachers, apostates, he calls them wolves in sheep's clothing. Do you know what one of the first things a wolf does when he wants to kill a sheep that's in a flock? Isolates. I've watched it. You've watched it on film. He wolf comes along. He runs along a herd of caribou or a herd of a flock of sheep, whatever it may be, and he looks for one that's limping a little bit. And he says, oh, I love weak ones. Better than that, I love wounded ones. And he comes up and he just starts putting pressure on that sheep. And he pushes him out. Next thing you know, the flock is over here, the shepherd's over here, and this one limping sheep is over here. I cannot tell you the number of people knock on their door. Hey, I'm from Bonner's. Ah, I'm not interested. You think, oh, this person's lost. Uh, not so fast. I used to do that. I used to be in such and such church. No, I do church here now. Me and God, out in the mountain, here at home. I do my own thing. What happened? You know, I was in church and I got hurt. You know what I'm about to say? Well, now you're about to be devoured. Because now you're isolated. I don't only get the chance. They're more afraid of a shepherd than they are of a wolf at that point. They've gotten more comfortable with a wolf being at their side pushing them over here, and a wolf can come to you in human flesh, they can come to you over uh, internet, TV, whatever. Here's what Moses says, Lord, your people are sheep, and once I'm gone, if you don't provide someone else, they're going to be like sheep without a shepherd. Isaiah 53, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. And here's God's definition of a, of a stray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We go our own way instead of the Lord's way. We're astray. Nah, that's just the way it is. And so we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Our first point is just to see the people are facing a problem. How many of you know this? Did the people of God even know they were facing this problem at this point? This is a conversation between God and Moses. But they're facing a problem. God says, you're going to die. You know what Moses knew then? By the way, wouldn't this be the way to go? I look at the way Mo the Bible says his natural force was not abated, meaning he was as strong as he was at 40, as he was at 80. 120, he is still going. He did not die because he was tired. He died because God said, I'm done. Your, your time is through. It's it. And God told him, you're going to die. It's time for you to go. You walk up with me on the mountain, and we're going to bring you on to glory. I'm telling you, if the Lord would do it that way, I'd be real happy. <laughs> this is when, this is what we're going to do. I mean, what a favor God did to Moses to say, get ready. And he gave Moses a chance to one more time intercede for the people as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the people have a problem. They don't know it, but they have a problem. Their nature as sheep is going to leave them vulnerable once Moses is dead. So that brings us to Moses' prayer. If I were Moses in my nature, just and I'm sure his natural man was the same, I would say, well, finally, they'll appreciate what they had. If you take me on, they'll quit grumbling and wish I was alive instead of dead. You know how many times the people wanted Moses dead? But you know what? Moses was not a carnal man. He was a godly man. You know why he was leading the people? Because he loved God. Because he loved God, he loved God's people. He wasn't in it because he was appreciated. You know how many times he was accused of trying to destroy those people? 
But Moses' last petition was, Lord, please watch out for your people. One of the marks of being a Christian is love for the brethren. We just saw that in our Sunday school lesson on assurance. One of the marks of being God's people is love for the brethren. I'm going to tell you something. If you can love that stiff-necked, stubborn nation, you are a godly person. Amen? Moses didn't love them because they were nice. Moses loved them because they belonged to God. There's some preaching right there. You with me this morning? You don't love God's people because you like God's people. You love God's people because they belong to God. Amen. You don't love God's people because of what they do for you. You love God's people because of what Christ did for them. And that's what I was planning on preaching this morning, but that's truth. So Moses' prayer for the people, verse 15, And Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not a sheep, which have no shepherd. His petition is very clear. Lord, would you please, if you're taking me, would you please provide another man? I watch men getting older in the ministry, and I, I this is the direction of the Lord. We're supposed to learn and, and receive counsel. So I watch men that are beyond me. They've been in the ministry 35, 40 years, and they've pastored a church maybe for a while, and I see them hit 60 or 65, and they, they've gotten wise to say, you know what? My time is short. We need to get somebody else who can continue to lead God's people and try to learn, you know, how, how to think about those things. And, and I watch men get very burdened. Pastors get very burdened for the church they're caring for, watching the potential of their own departure and waiting for someone qualified and called of God and the burden that they bear for the people of God. And it's a, it's a sad and a joyful thing all at one time because you see the love for God's people and the love for the Lord and yet the need for faithful men. Joshua is being prayed for. Moses said, Lord, would you provide a man so that, here's his purpose, that the people continue to have provision. Someone that will go out, lead them out, and lead them in. It's, a, it's an analogy to a flock. You lead them out of the fold into the fields and the pasture so they can feed. You lead them back in so they can secure for the night. You lead them back out in the day so they can feed and back into secure from the, from the pestilence at night and from the, uh, from the, uh, the predators that would, uh, attack them and lead them up to pasture through the, the valleys and the dangerous places. Moses is concerned that God's people be provided for. Moses is concerned that God's people be protected from those that would destroy them. He is concerned that someone would set a right pattern before them. He's asking God provide a shepherd for your sheep, to give them provision and protection and a pattern to follow and ultimately spiritual prosperity. Moses wants to see God's people prosper. He wants to see them not only out of Egypt but settled in Canaan. By the way, if you want a spiritual lesson, if you're saved this morning, when God saved you, you belong to the devil and the world. He told you what to do and you did it. Say, not me. Yes, all. We were all the children of disobedience and children of wrath by nature. We read this morning Ephesians chapter 2. Every one of us obeying sin and Satan. He was our father. So when God saved us, it's, it's pictured by the Passover. When Israel came out of Egypt, that's a picture of being born again. You no longer enslaved in sin in Egypt. But did God save us to just wander in the wilderness to try to figure out where we're going? Or does he have a specific destination for us? Well, of course he wants us to go to heaven. Canaan is not a picture of heaven. How I many you know there's no battles in heaven? Those battles are fought and won. They're done. Lucifer has been cast out. I understand. So there's a battle in heaven with Daniel. I, I get that. I'm talking about 
Ultimately, when we get to heaven, there's no tears, there's no sorrow, there's no crying, there's no, there's no more death, none of that. That's our final destination. Canaan was a, was a land full of battles, conflicts. Canaan land is not... We hear all kinds of old songs. Canaan land is just in sight and just crossing over Chile, Jordan. They're all doctrinally incorrect. I hate to say that. I hope it didn't ruin some of your favorite songs. But Chile, Jordan is not a picture of death. It's a picture of moving forward by faith into a land of victory. God did not just want you not to be in bondage to your sin. He wants you to be in victory over it. Canaan land is a picture of the spiritual battles you must fight over, you call it, the Canaanite of envy, the Amalekite of lust, uh, the, uh, the Girgashite, of all those ites of pride and all the sin that mastered you before God says, I not only don't want you living in the world like the world, I want you living victoriously in the world by the power of God. So if you're saved this morning, know this, that's where God's leading you. He is working, and there must be a wilderness experience between salvation and and satisfaction in a land that's flowing with milk and honey. You hear about the fruit of the Spirit, and some say, that's not what I'm experiencing. That's probably because you're drinking the bread and water of wilderness Christianity. You've got to learn that God won't fail you. Then you can go to battle. You with me this morning? Hope this makes sense. So here's Moses wanting that. He wants God's people to prosper. He wants them to know and experience the faithfulness of God and giving them victory over their enemies in establishing them in a land where they'll be full and overflowing. But he knows if he's gone, if you're Moses, once you're dead, what do you know those people are going to do the moment you die if they don't have a leader in place? What did they threaten to do like a hundred times? They're going back to Egypt. So, Lord, if there's not someone here to challenge them to go fight their battles, they'll just go back and be slaves again. And I don't want them to be slaves again because you don't want to be slaves again. So if I'm gone, what are they going to do? They'll go right back to Egypt. God, please prosper your people. So God then answers. And that's our third point this morning. He makes a provision for the people. And Moses ends praying in verse 17. He says, which may go out before them and which may go in before them and which may lead them out, which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said to Moses, verse 18, take Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thine hand upon him. By the way, by the way, Moses means drawn out of the water. We were were born of the Spirit, born of water. That speaks of natural birth, no doubt. Moses is an infant pulled out of the Nile River, but also speaks of being birthed through the water of God's Word, does it not? Moses speaks of the new birth, drawn out of water. You know what Joshua means? Savior of the people. He was raised up to be a deliverer to save them from their enemies. We're going to go face our enemies and we're going to overcome them. God not only gives you life, He gives you abundant life. This is pictured in Moses, drawn out of the water. Joshua, the Savior of the people. God gave you new life when you received Christ. He gave you a new birth, new nature, but that's not the end, that's the beginning. He's also set Christ over you to not only be a Savior from hell, yes, but a Savior from the power of sin on your life. And so the provision, God makes an immediate provision for the people. God identifies this man. His name is Joshua and his identity, again, it's the, it is exactly the same name as Jesus. You know that Joshua's name in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 4, is Jesus. It's the same. It's translated from Hebrew into English as Joshua. From Greek into English, it's Jesus. 
He had the exact same name as our Lord and Savior. You think that's an accident? <laughs> no way. He's a picture and type of Christ. And so the immediate provision is found here in verse 18. The Lord said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thine hand upon him, and let him be, uh, and set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. And thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim before the Lord. At his word shall they go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and he laid his hands upon him and gave him a charge as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. There's a transferring of authority here. God said, just as you are in authority, I have put my authority on Joshua. But I'll ask you a question. God answered Moses' prayer, but remember Moses' purpose? That God's people be not as sheep without a shepherd? Go to the book of Judges, would you? This is just after Joshua's death. The book of Judges. The statement is made a couple of times in the book of Judges. Once Joshua died, the, the form of leadership changed. It changed from someone that was a shepherd to a judge, which really means a deliverer, all right? So it was a, a deliverer to deliver them from their enemies. But there's a sad commentary about the people of Israel in the book of Judges. And this characterizes them by the time the book of Judges is ended. It says in Judges 21, verse 24, And the children of Israel departed thence at that time, every man to his tribe and to his family, and they went out from thence every man to his inheritance. So Joshua's dead now. Verse 25, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Now if you stopped reading your Bible right here, you'd say, God tricked Moses. Moses prayed that God would raise up a man so that God's people would not be as sheep astray. And within a generation after the death of Joshua, you know what? They were astray. And they strayed. And they strayed. May I say as a nation, they're still astray. The nation of Israel is still astray today as a nation. God saves Jews when they come to faith in Christ. But as a nation, they rejected their Savior. It's truth. And they strayed, and God will deal with that. Here's my point this morning. Did God not answer Moses' prayer? Or did he have to bring us all to a place where we realize salvation is not in man? It's not in a man like you and me. Moses ultimately could not save God's people. He died. So he said, Lord, give him a man. God did. But as soon as Joshua was dead, guess what? Their nature was still the same. They needed someone beyond just another man like them who could actually change their nature, who could actually not be taken away from them by death. While Solomon David was alive, the nation of Israel did good. While Solomon was alive, until he disobeyed God, they did good. While Josiah was alive, the nation of Judah, it did pretty good. Now they're divided because they're so scattered, they've turned against each other. 
But while they had Hezekiah, they did good. Under Asa, they, they did pretty good. But I'm reading this morning about the nation of Israel under Ahab. That was not good. No, no. So what happens? Here's a, the people of God. God answered prayer, but he didn't. I mean, Joshua was faithful in his identity. His name was Joshua. He lived up to his name. You know what he did for all of his life? He took the people to battle and they conquered enemies. I mean, Joshua was faithful, not flawless, but faithful. He ended his life well. He ended on God's side. He was, he was a man of integrity. He was anointed and appointed by God and lived up to his name. But he was insufficient because just like Moses, he died. I read this week in, I believe it's the 118th Psalm, that it's better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in princes. You know why? Princes corrupt and princes die. God never does either one. And I say this, Moses' prayer was answered just 1,400 years later. It was answered immediately in the person of Joshua, but it was answered ultimately in who? Jesus Christ. We must see that. The best any one of us men can do is pattern Christ and point others to Him. And by the way, that's the best, the best way of life to be spent. Every father, every husband, every pastor, every teacher, just like Moses and just like Joshua. You know what their lives served? Not to say, be a man like me. And we can be a man like them. Don't misunderstand me. We should follow them as they follow the Lord. You know what their lives served for us this morning? The ultimate answer is not in man. The ultimate answer is in the God-man, in the man Christ Jesus. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Go to John chapter 10 now, if you would. Remember what Moses prayed for? A man, God, would you give us a man that would go in and go out and uh, that would go before the people and set a pattern for the people that he would lead them out and lead them in. He's desirous for their protection and their, their provision, their prosperity. John chapter 10, we know one of the greatest descriptions of our Lord is that He's the shepherd. In Psalm 23, is, I don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It is not wrong or bad to read it at funerals of Christian people. That's a wonderful thing. But Psalm 23 is a psalm to live by as much as it is to die by. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. That's talking about Jesus Christ. I love to read Psalm 23 and John 10 together. The one is the fulfillment of the other. And David, as a king, understood, I'm a king, but I'm a sheep. I need a shepherd. I need someone to let me ask you, if the Lord left you alone, where would you be? If the Lord, amen, in hell, no doubt. As a child of God, if He left you alone, where would you be? I'd be adrift. I'm telling you, it's God that worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. We're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. He gave you salvation. You work it out. The next verse says, because it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. That's His shepherding of us. We want to go over here and feast our minds on something over here. And the Lord says, no, that's toxic. That'll ruin you. Feed on this, my word. I'm glad I have a shepherd today. All I want to see, though, is as, Josh, as Moses prayed for a man, God gave an immediate answer, but his immediate answer was simply a picture of his ultimate answer. What Joshua was immediately was a picture of what God would provide ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ, John chapter 10 Verse 6, This parable spake Jesus unto them, 
but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. There's the protection. And shall go in and out. Remember the wording, what Moses prayed for? That will go in, take the people out and bring them in. Jesus said, it shall go in. The sheep shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring and they shall hear my voice and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. And I have power to take it again. This is something Moses could not say. This is something Joshua could not say. Did Moses lay his life down of his own power? Did God say, I'm taking it? Moses died because God said, you're dying. Your time has come. Jesus died because God the Father said, it's time. And Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but he laid it down. And three days later, he took it up. He says, this commandment have I received of my Father. Look at verse 27. We saw it in Sunday school. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. As we study Moses' prayer, I gave you an example in the book of Judges. He prayed for someone to go before the people and take them out and bring them in. By the end of the book of Judges, they're already astray. Matthew chapter 9, the Lord Jesus looked on the multitudes with compassion because they were scattered as sheep without a shepherd. Isn't that what Moses prayed wouldn't happen? Because every shepherd that came along, Stephen preached it, they rejected. But God raised up the shepherd, just like he raised up the prophet. He raised up the shepherd. And when Jesus said, Father... When he looked on the multitudes and he turns to his disciples, the Bible says he'd wept over Jerusalem. And then he looked on the multitudes and had compassion. And he said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth. You notice what he didn't pray for? He didn't say pray for the Lord of the harvest. He'd raise up a man. You know why he didn't pray that? It was done. He said, pray for the Lord of the harvest. He'd send forth labors into his harvest. You know what he's saying? Pray that the Lord would send forth labors to bring them to the shepherd. Did God answer Moses' prayer? Ultimately, he answered it in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus would say in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let me explain what rest is not. Rest is not daily thinking, I hope I'm righteous. I hope I'm not going to go to hell. I hope I'm saved. I think I'm doing good enough. Maybe I can. I don't know. That's not rest. I meet people that believe their works are part of saving their soul. It's always, I sure hope so. You know what rest is? It's settled. 
is done. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I am trying to be righteous enough for God. I am trying to be righteous enough for God. You'll wear yourself right into the grave. Only one is righteous enough for God, and that's Jesus Christ. Moses wasn't. Joshua wasn't. None other has been nor will be but Jesus Christ. You know the greatest, I believe if you could ask Moses and Joshua today, what is the greatest service of your life? That we stand to point people to Jesus Christ. By our ministry, by our name, we point people to the ultimate shepherd, the ultimate savior. No one was ever needed. No one ever had to pray again, God, please raise up a man, lest your people be scattered. You know what? God has appointed a man over every one of us today. The head of every man is Christ. He is the shepherd of the sheep. And so God answered the prayer of Moses ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. Look, if you would, with me. I'm going to finish Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Meaning, I have power and strength, but I am willing not to use my strength to destroy you, but to save you. That's what meekness is. Having the power to destroy, but using it to save Okay. I am meek and lowly in heart, and you should find rest under your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Now, uh, in Hebrews 4, and we won't take time to read it, verses 4 through 10, the Bible says if the, the, the God has said there's a rest yet remaining for the people of God, and then it says if Jesus had given them rest, he had not said there's a rest to come. The Jesus in Hebrews 4 is speaking of Joshua in the Old Testament. Meaning when Joshua died, there were still enemies to be conquered. The, the children of Israel couldn't say it's done. No, there were still battles to be won, and they soon became conquered. But when the Lord Jesus hang, hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. He conquered sin. He conquered Satan. He conquered hell. He conquered it all. So that what you and I need to know is that the answer for every soul today is Jesus Christ. Faith in him, yes, for the forgiveness of your sins. But how many of us understand the shepherd not only purchases the sheep, that's just the beginning. That's what happens the day Christ saved you. He bought you, but now let him lead you and guide you. He'll take you out and he'll bring you in through his word. You say, doesn't God use men today? Yes, but no man outside of Jesus Christ is the answer for your soul. See, why is this important? I watch people gravitate toward religious movements. Maybe that famous preacher is the answer I've been looking for. I promise you he's not unless he's pointing you to Christ. Christ is who you need. He is the bread of life. He is the water of life. Amen? He is the good shepherd. And we are not to place our hopes and confidence in flesh like ourselves in sinful flesh. Our confidence is in Him who was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So as we get caught up in men and movements, no, 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 no. The The best value is what Paul said. Follow me. As I follow Christ, you realize in 1 Peter 5, the, the Bible says to, the, to, the, to the, the bishops, the elders that were among them to feed the flock of God, taking the oversight. Then he said, and when the chief shepherd, I keep using the word ultimate, chief, when the chief shepherd shall appear, then, then there'll be a reward, there'll be a crown. Christ is the chief shepherd. And so then we who preach and pastor, you know what we are? We're, we're sheepdogs. Just work for the shepherd. Because there's one shepherd of our soul. Look at 1 Peter chapter, tw- uh, chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I love this text of Scripture. 
First Peter chapter one. Excuse me, First Peter chapter two. I apologize. First Peter two verses twenty one through twenty five. Bible says, "For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps." Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Can you see the difference between Christ and Moses? When Moses suffered, he smote the rock. (laughs) When Christ suffered, he threatened not. Committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self, Heard a man preach on those two words the other day. Tremendous. His own self without the help of anyone else. His own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep gone astray, going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd, capital S, and bishop, of your souls. Moses, before he died, says, Lord, would you give a man for your people, lest your congregation be like sheep going astray? God's answer was yes. First, I'll give a prototype in Joshua. He'll bear the same name, but he's not the ultimate deliverer. But when God raised up Jesus Christ, he raised up, and by the way, when God called Joshua, what did he have have Moses do? Anoint him, right? The word Christ means anointed. God has anointed and authorized one person as an authority over your soul. And you and I are either going away from him or we're going to him. Amen? We're either fleeing from him or we're following him. And this morning, the Bible says Christ came to turn us from our sins and reconcile us to God. God has appointed one man for us to put our confidence and full-hearted trust in, and that is the man Christ Jesus. One God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Twofold application here this morning. If you've never come to trust the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says in him is the forgiveness of sins. Only one person is authorized to forgive your sins. Only one person is authorized to free you from Satan's grip, and that's Jesus Christ. One person has God ordained to be an authority in your life. And that's the shepherd. I'm going to say something. If you follow Christ as a shepherd, you can quote Psalm 23 and say, that is so true. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He does not leave your soul empty. You know what? My soul hungers. There are days life throws me curveballs. I'm like, I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. This morning, one of the first thoughts on my mind this morning, there are pressures and there's burdens with life and ministry and so forth. You know what those burdens do? They do one of two things. They either wear you down and kill you, or they put you on your knees. And I'm keenly aware if I didn't have the burdens, my prayer life would greatly suffer. I just know it. I am so grateful, though. I talked to my shepherd this morning. This isn't rhetoric. And immediately he begins talking back through this book. Satisfying my soul. I got up with questions this morning I didn't have answers to, but he had the answers. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Oh, what a lovely life. Green pastures and still waters. He restoreth my soul. God knows what we need. There are times we don't need turmoil, it'd kill us. We need still waters and green pastures. 
You ever go through a season of life, maybe you're not like me, and things are calm and peaceful, and you think, I'm scared, what's coming next? But you know God knows what we need. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He will be known as the good shepherd. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. We are surrounded by enemies today, are we not? You and I can rest content. Why? Because God answered Moses' prayer. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. My cup runneth over. Don't say that to the average professing Christian. I hear a lot more grumbling and complaining than I do Thanksgiving these days from safe folk. You know why? Maybe somebody else is shepherding. Hmm? Maybe we're eating on somebody else's pasture besides his. This book will not leave you dissatisfied. In the greatest of turmoil, his presence is enough. It is. It's a truth. Now, we get tested on that, but it's enough. The Bible says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You think about the man who wrote that psalm. Here's a man who was pursued by 3,000 men and a king trying to kill him. He said, The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. His own son, because of his own sin, raised up out of his own house, tried to kill him, overthrow his kingdom. And as he's leaving, they say, let's take the Ark of the Covenant. David says, no, leave the Ark here. If God be pleased to bring me back, he will. We're not going to drag God along with me. He'll have to bring me back to him. I'm not going to take him. You know what I'm saying? David had a heart that was right toward God because he was a sheep and the Lord was a shepherd. My question is, what is your relationship with the Lord this morning? Number one, have you trusted him? Is he your shepherd? The sheep trust the shepherd to lead, to feed, to protect. Maybe you say, I'm a sheep, but I'm not resting in the fact that God has provided, listen, God has provided a shepherd and bishop for your soul. No one ever cared for you like Jesus, is like the hymn says. You know what? How should we respond to the shepherd today? Hear his voice, obey his voice, and trust that God has provided not a shepherd, but the shepherd. And God knows the need of your soul this morning. And it doesn't matter if it's salvation or if you are in need of strength or whatever it may be, that that need is found and met in the person of Jesus Christ.